That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even death may die. Welcome to a special edition of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, lost in time and space. And I am Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And today we're going to be joined by a very special guest, a co-founder of Arc Dream Publishing, uh, Shane Ivey. Shane, welcome to the cast. Hi, thank you very much. It's fun to be here. Great. Well, um... Shane, why don't you go ahead and give a quick introduction for those who may not know who you are and what you do at Arc Dream Publishing? Uh, sure. So uh, Arc Dream is a um, is a creative partnership between me and Dennis Detweller. Uh, we uh, we we are most most well known for Delta Green, which is a role playing game and fiction line of Cthulhu mythos horror in the modern day that uh, that we've been writing for and uh, uh, publishing for for many, many, many years. And it's won lots of awards and gotten lots of acclaim, and it's, it's really satisfying and great fun to create. Uh, I also published The Unspeakable Oath, uh, which is our very irregular Cthulhu gaming, uh, mainly RPG magazine um, that... Uh, that is ostensibly quarterly, but you know, if we if I get out one one issue a year these days, it feels like a, an accomplishment. Ostensibly uh, being key there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think uh, I think that uh, in the early days, Pagan, who was the Pagan Publishing, was the original publisher of the Oath, managed to put out four issues in a single year. Uh, I think once in 1992, maybe, <laughs> and that's that was about it. Um, but we've also uh, we we were publishing WrestleNomicon, which is a uh, it's it's a far less bleak take on Cthulhu stuff than we usually do, uh, which is a card game about the great old ones fighting and brawling uh, over the uh, over the end of the world. And so the the, the box the first the, the the initial release of that is a box set that includes decks for um, Cthulhu and Hastur, and uh, and that'll be coming out later this year uh, we're putting the final touches on uh, development and, and art direction and everything on that uh, this month and it's, uh, it seems to be very tongue yeah it seems to be very tongue-in-cheek it's uh yeah it's oh great. yeah 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 definitely um it's uh yeah the whole the whole the, the whole game basically came about because you know for whatever reason dennis and i just started getting punchy um uh many many years ago and started trading uh you know goofy uh, goofy puns about cthulhu and hester hitting each other so it has it has it has attack attack cards you know attack cards like uh um you know like uh, uh the relay shuffle and uh casilda's thong and yeah casilda's thong is hilarious <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it's a uh, so so yeah it's it's very it's very punny and deliberately kind of goofy and dumb and uh, but it's fun and the art is hilarious and uh, rob hanso and his team at fire Opal games uh, developed the the rules and the gameplay for it so it's it's been a really fun process to see that come together after all these years yeah that's great um so i wanted to ask you shane what um what was the genesis of our dream publishing how, how did you and dennis come to be uh partners and what was the separation ultimately from pagan publishing 
Uh, yeah, well, you know, we never really had a formal separation from pagan publishing. Uh, I I had been I'd worked as a contractor uh, off and on for uh, for pagan, doing uh, occasionally doing like proofreading and a little bit of f uh, freelance writing and uh, web you know web website development and design back in the '90s for them, and was just basically a you know a giant fan, and uh, and Dennis Dennis was uh, art director for Pagan. Uh, but in the early 2000s, John Tynes, who was the the founder of Pagan and kind of its its you know its uh, its principal director, uh, he he kind of got uh, burned out on role playing games after spending ten or twelve years on them full time, and uh, and he started working in other other fields and basically put his role in Pagan publishing on hiatus. And so Pagan's workflow, uh, uh, Scott Glancy took over managing everything, but, uh, but even so, Pagan's production flow kind of started to slow. And, uh, and at the same time, they had developed, uh, John had worked with Dennis, uh, Dennis was the principal designer, and worked with Greg Stoltze on a, uh, a role-playing game called Godlike, which is a World War II game about super-powered commandos in the war. And... They had uh, they'd done a they, they'd published the, originally that was going to be like Pagan Publishing's first official full fledged standalone role playing game, and uh, but they worked out a deal with um, with another a new company, uh, Hawthorne Hobgoblin that evolved into a lot of different companies over the years to to publish Godlike. Uh, so over the next year or two, they published Godlike and they published the first book for it. But production on that, even then, production on it was <clears throat> was really kind of slow, and Dennis started getting increasingly frustrated. Um, and so at the time, then I was working as a magazine editor and had worked in, uh, you know, in uh, uh, newspapers and and had a had a publishing background already, even then. So we basically started putting our heads together and uh, and said, well, why don't we just start our own thing, you know, and do it ourselves? We can kind of combine our skill sets and get it done and uh and that's that's how it that's 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 how it began so did dennis and you have the rights to publish stuff under the delta green um banner or did you have to acquire that somehow uh well we uh, yeah with delta it was a while before we started publishing for delta green uh we started with godlike and we took over the godlike line from uh from hobgoblin and 2002 I think or 2003 and um, and then in 2007 if I'm remembering right we worked out a deal with Scott with Pagan and with John to uh, where Arc Dream would would take point on development of a new Delta Green hardback book that collected a bunch of old material and then added some new material and Pagan Publishing would be the publisher of it, but we'd have we had we set up this deal basically where we would we would sell and publish the uh, sell the the hardback edition and then they would sell a retail edition in the paperback, and you know and we'd sort of divvy everything up and that worked out great for everybody. So we did that with two different books over the next few years, and then a couple of years after that we uh, we worked out a deal with the Delta Green Partnership, which is the uh, the entity that owns the Delta Green intellectual property for Arc Dream to develop new material and, and develop a standalone role-playing game and, and a line of books to go with it. 
So is is Delta Green in its new iteration a standalone game separate from Call of Cthulhu, or is it still compatible with the uh, with the Call of Cthulhu game? Uh, both. It, it's a standalone game, uh, but it's it's eminently compatible. Um, our our uh, our first design principle when we started putting together what's this game going to look like. Well, our first design principle was we wanted it to be its own thing. We we didn't want it to be. Um, to be dependent on another company's uh, work, right? You know, or, or another company's publishing policies, I should say, for it to come out. We wanted it to be kind of independent, um, but at the same time, we wanted it to be easily compatible with everything we'd already done for Delta Green over the past however many years it had been. You know, twenty years or something by that time. And so, uh, so the rules, if you look at the rules between, from Delta Green and you look at the rules, especially from Call of Cthulhu 6th edition, um, they're so similar that there's, there's not a lot of daylight between them. It's not hard for people to, to pick it up and just run with it. We have a few innovations in the sanity rules especially, and there are a few things here and there that work differently or that we've added that have a learning curve, but it's a learning curve you can measure in seconds, you know, not even in minutes. And um, so, yeah, so that's, so it, it's, so, so again, it's kind of both, you know, it's very, very compatible. The only thing that would separate it from 7th edition really is, uh, 7th edition, they changed the stats all to uh, percentile scores, right? So if you can multiply by five, then you're, mm. then you're good. Yep. Um, well, some of our listeners might not be familiar with what Delta Green is. So Shane, why don't you give us a quick synopsis of what Delta Green is and how it ties into the Cthulhu mythos? Sure. Delta Green, so it's a modern day game and it's about it's about investigators generally who are professional investigators or experts who work with them who um, discover, stumble into, realize there are uh, incredibly dangerous, toxic horrors uh, in the world that, that threaten sanity and survival and lives. And they uh, work together to investigate those and confront them and save other people from having to deal to encounter them and suffer from them uh, so the so gameplay typically is it it, it, uh, it typically starts off with a couple of the players uh, playing actual agents like law enforcement officers you know, FBI agents or something like that and uh, and a couple of others playing uh, you know sort of civilian experts doctors or uh, anthropologists or uh, or what have you and um and so in theory your characters have a great deal of expertise when they begin investigating and access to uh, to a lot of resources potentially but it very quickly becomes apparent that all of those things are extraordinarily limited and your um and so the so gameplay is this constant t- has this constant tension between trying to uh trying to kind of use what you have and what's available to you and recognizing the risks of exposure that come with that that come with using those resources Uh, because exposure is the thing that's that's most destructive in uh in 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 what the agents do it's it's interesting uh that you guys chose a modern setting um i feel like players might might be a little overconfident because of available technologies and all that when 
combating great old ones and mm-hmm. and the mythos what kind of challenges uh did you guys uh, have when when deciding to go with a modern setting or was that something deliberate to give people overconfidence oh yeah no i mean that's that's never been a problem for us um the again the 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 big challenge in delta green one of the big challenges for agents is um is reducing reducing the spread of these unnatural threats that are so dangerous and and uh, uh you know to, to to life and limb and sanity and you know the 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 big thing that you can bring to the table in a modern game is communications you know we live in the communication age you can get you can communicate instantly and send all kind of data and um and that's far more useful for spreading the things that you're trying to keep secret than it is for uh keeping those things secret to begin with so the um so all of the you know what 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 we kind of enjoy doing with delta green when we were developing the new game especially we focused on this a lot is focusing on the ways in which um, all of these tools and all of these technologies and techniques that uh, that you can bring to bear are in their own right sources of horror and sources of risk for your characters. Yeah, in your most recent release, um, Control Group, the first operation sees the investigators going into space. Um, I wanted to kind of touch on Control Group as a as a broad project. What was the catalyst for that project? And did you feel the game needed a product like Control Group? Had fans been asking for this type of product? Or was it something that you as a publisher felt uh, the that Delta Green needed a project like this? Yeah, con- uh, so Control Group first came about in... The idea for it came about, oh gosh, I think 2010 was when... Greg Stoltze and I first started uh, batting the ideas around for it, uh, and originally, originally he had Greg Stoltze was one of the um, key developers of the the, the mechanics of, of Delta Green, the role playing game, um, and the, the mechanical innovations that are in it. And so he he originally had envisioned this the, the the campaign as a series of scenarios that would each kind of iteratively teach portion of the key rules concepts so one of the adventures was going to focus primarily on just using skills in different ways another one's going to focus a lot on combat another one focus heavily on on bonds and sanity um and that uh, that uh, that kind of uh fell away over time as we were developing the game because of course we were developing the game itself alongside his first drafts of, of the scenarios of the campaign, um, it, it, it very quickly became clear that that purpose was really kind of redundant because the rules of the game are just not that hard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not that tough to, uh, to teach people. And uh, so what, it, what wound up happening is the, 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 the initial drafts of the, of the adventures um, devoted more time to telling the game master what not to use out of the rules in order to keep the focus on on these teaching tools than they did on uh, actually making the scenarios suspenseful and terrifying you know and so the uh, so the so it sort of changed shape and changed focus over time and and evolved into uh, into what we have now which is 
a, a series of adventures, like three scenarios that are built to feature characters who are not part of Delta Green. They're not part of the conspiracy, the organization, uh, but they but they're exposed to those threats, and then they can be uh, those who survive can be recruited potentially by the group, and um, you know, and then we can and then you can kind of see as players the players can decide how they respond to the the uh, indoctrination, for lack of a better word, of, of Delta Green saying these these threats are so dangerous that we have to go through all these things to to keep them secret. Uh, and then the fourth adventure is is one where you can bring the characters together as a Delta Green as an actual Delta Green team and uh, yeah, so it became a way to kind of introduce the characters to the program, and by extension, you can it, it works very well for introducing new players to the program as to the to Delta Green as well. Uh, you in, in these uh, scenarios, uh, you mentioned that um, most of the the agents start out as non-agents; they don't know anything about Delta Green or its existence. So, so they're just regular people, and it. It reminded me of the bonded mechanic that you guys uh, created for this game, which is a really interesting mechanic. Um, what brought that about, and um, you know, what what is its purpose for those who don't know about the game? Uh, what the purpose of the bonds rules? The bonds, yeah, the bonds sure. rules. Yep. Uh, yeah, the 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 fundamental purpose of them is to help establish and make really explicit the individual characters ties to the real world so to speak to the world outside of delta green uh, when we're playing when we're playing delta green uh, scenarios they tend to be they tend to be very isolated you know they're far from any from from the characters homes um, the characters are doing everything in their power to keep what happens there uh, to sort of tie it up in a bow and keep it from being exposed, and then they go home and, and everything's back to normal. And so the first thing that I wanted to do with Bonds was establish what normal means and what, what these characters are protecting and uh, the price that they pay for the things they do to protect those things. So, um, so characters are all the time, agents in Delta Green are all the time confronting things that sap their 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 sanity and uh you know and potentially are very physically risky and damaging and all of those uh, all of that those threats uh are ways that can damage your bonds because you're going home paying the psychological price of what you've been doing um and it was and, and that kind of developed uh you know the I, I, those, those rules developed uh in consultation with uh you know with ptsd counselors and and uh and veterans counselors and it was a it was a very deliberate thing that i want for me especially it was really important for me to to build make sure that the new version of delta green uh recognized that we especially here in the u.s you know we're we have millions and millions of people now that over the last 15 years or more um, have, we've put through the ringer and have been through terrible, terrible traumas and dangers, and are having and have having to come home and live with that. And um, it didn't it didn't seem fathomable to me that we would do a a role playing game about 
uh, about people going away from home and facing terrible traumas and dangers, you know, and not feature the, the cost of that. Yeah, that that's uh, really interesting and uh, adds kind of an adult uh, theme to, to the game. It's, it's interesting how a horror game can either be pulpy or almost comedic, but then this kind of adds this, this adultness to it. And uh, the game itself just seems tailored to a more adult audience for sure. Uh, one of the first lines in the, I think it's the the agent's handbook is I fucked up, <laughs> which is, I thought that was awesome. I'm like, okay, that totally sets the tone. Definitely. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, thematically Delta green, uh, as its own thing is about human failure. You know, it's not a power fantasy. It, it's about, it's about the limitations of humanity and the ways in which humanity fails and, uh, deteriorates and degenerates. Uh, as it's put to the test. And so the great kind of the big hero moments for agents in Delta Green is when they overcome all of the odds and stand up despite all of that. And that's what that's the most rewarding things you can see in a Delta Green game. And that's what makes them so rewarding. So the, the rules from top to bottom, um, you know, they uh, that's that's kind of where they're where they're oriented and so yeah it, it it was a really deliberate choice on our part early on that uh, we had a particular mode of play in mind and a particular set of themes in mind and a particular kind of experience that we wanted it to evoke shane you had mentioned earlier about cleaning up the sanity system from call of cthulhu 6th edition going into delta green um, can you quickly touch on what you wanted to improve from the previous sanity system going into Delta Green? And what what aspects of it did you not like and want to improve? Well, so, so cleaning up and trying to improve it is, to me, is kind of overstating it a little bit. Um, there were some things that we wanted to focus on specifically that the existing rules didn't really focus on very closely. Um, and we wanted to kind of modernize it uh, to some extent as well. The, the Call of Cthulhu Sanity rules, I mean, they first came out in 1980, 81. Uh, I think it was 81. And, um, and it was very much kind of, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, built, it was built to recreate um, seeing Lovecraft's protagonists, protagonists um, faint away in horror and you know, and go crazy and develop weird, funny phobias and things. And, um, and so because this was a modern game and because we knew there are going to be so many readers and players who have direct experience of trauma, of psychological trauma and trying to recover from it, we wanted to take that seriously and make it feel less like a lark and more like um, your agents are dealing with something that we can kind of recognize and respect. And so the, um, the, the, the mechanics of it, we, you know, thanks to the open gaming license um, and Wizards of the Coast publishing the sanity, the core sanity rules um, in, uh, under the OGL, we, uh, we were able to just, you know, use wholesale, you know, it's based on your power score and it's a percentile scale and you roll percentiles under the, you know, under the score in order to succeed. And it, 
as your sanity goes lower, your chance of success becomes lower and lower and it sort of spirals out of control. Um, and all of that we, you know, we very much wanted to keep. So where we kind of veered away uh, into our own territory was in uh, the shape that long-term mental disorders take um, and how they come about. Uh, so they come about in Delta Green over time. Uh, usually it's pretty gradual, but you don't, you know, you, you don't pick up a new phobia in the middle of a game after seeing a trauma or whatever. You, um, if, you're, if your sanity starts to dip too low, then you basically make a note of that. And between adventures, when you deal with what's your character going through at home and what is your, you know, what is your, your private life looking like, then you start dealing with the repercussions and that's when these long-term things might emerge. Um, and then the, the types of disorders as well, we keyed very deliberately to, uh, you know, to, uh, to real world research. So getting, uh, you know, getting, getting badly traumatized by, uh, by violence is likely to have different effects on your character than getting badly traumatized by, um, seeing some impossible magical thing happen. Yeah. And you can see the gradual decline or the, the beginnings and the ends of it, uh, on the two covers of the, of the core of the core rules of the, of the game. Uh, the agent's handbook and the handler's is it the handler's guide or handler's yeah. handbook? Yeah, yeah, handler's guide. Uh, where the guy in the agent's handbook, it's just at first when I saw that cover, I'm like, this is weird. There's just some sweaty guy that looks paranoid. But then when you look at the other cover, it's the same guy, but he's been completely changed and obviously gone insane by the book he was holding in the other cover. the The art in the game is really, it really tells the story of the game. Um, mm -hmm. Just like the art in Control Group, that is one of the creepiest pieces of art I've I've seen. Oh, seriously? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that Dennis's doing? Because that is immensely creepy. What, what are we talking about? The front front cover art. Oh for yeah, Control yeah. Group. Uh, yeah, guy. yeah. That was uh, yeah. That's uh, Dennis Detwiller does all of the uh, illustrations and cover art for the Delta the, the Delta Green role playing game line. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's it's it's, it's uniformly fantastic work. So, so yeah, there was there's one of the scenarios deals with the uh, the CDC confronting an outbreak of this really lethal disease uh, in in a small town in Arizona. So yeah, the front cover shows uh, somebody in a in a um, in a uh, like a, a biohazard suit, yeah, yeah hazmat suit uh, in a, like a, an apartment complex or something. Uh, and yeah, you've got the poor, sad little teddy bear <laughs> <laughs> Co covered with like a bloody handprint, oh, right. and it's so evocative. Um, Delta Green is so f fascinating to me, especially because it you know it has a long history, even in I guess in its own game sense terms too, because it starts all the way back in 1920s and goes goes all the way forward with um, the Delta Green license, and with such a rich and interesting backstory that Delta Green has, it can. I feel like it can feel difficult for new players to get invested into this game without feeling overwhelmed. What were some of the key aspects of Delta Green that you wanted to really drive home for players in a control group? Uh, yeah, well, I think that first and foremost, to um, to keep the focus tight, um, this is this is especially important for for the handler, right, the game master who's running the game, um, because it's 
you know, we we hear one thing we hear pretty frequently from gamers is that they feel like they're uh, for handlers is they, they 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 look at the material and they get really excited, enthusiastic, which is of course fabulous to hear. It's wonderful, um, but then they see we put so much into the handler's guide and they're like, I don't even know where to start. You know, how do I, what, what do I do with all of this? Um, and, but if you look at the scenarios we've published, you know, we've got a, I don't know, a couple, two or three dozen of them out and about nowadays. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they, they have a really specific focus. There's a threat, right? There's a location that you're dealing with. And uh, and that's the biggest thing to remember is, is don't you know, I, I, I never I, I want people to make sure that they they realize that you don't have to you don't have to embrace all the tools in the toolbox or use every tool in the toolbox simultaneously. Right. You, you use the tool that fits your need. And um, and and with the with you know, the, the handless guide is 368 pages of tools on every single page. Um, so pick a page. <laughs> right and yeah. make your game about that you know about that moment and then you can kind of develop it over time as you go if it's a success and your and your players your players want you know they if they if they dig it and the game thrives then you can start exploring the uh the uh, the background and make it deeper and deeper but even there you're only likely to explore a sliver of the background at any uh in any in any one campaign um so yeah keep the focus keep the focus narrow and find make the 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 horror the kind of apocalyptic terrors that uh that agents confront they 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 work best at the table when they're very personal and when they're very when they're small you know um seeing seeing something terrifying happen to a small family that your agents have interviewed and have gotten to know is um, way more has way more impact than uh, seeing something terrifying happen to you know a thousand people right because it's personal and because you can empathize with the individuals uh, so yeah keep the focus tight and pick your favorite you know your your single favorite thing that you want to make your game about and play with that and then build on that with your next favorite thing. Well, speaking of speaking of favorites, uh, what's your favorite operation in Control Group? And you have to be honest now. Oh, um, I think, uh, I think it's probably going to be sick again out of the four. Uh, the, the scenarios, there's, uh, uh, Night Visions is set in Afghanistan in in, in the war, and uh, and then Sick uh, Sick again is set in uh, or, or, or uh, Black Sad is is the is set in uh, it's like this NASA mission that goes really bad, and uh, uh, there's a Wormwood Arena is the final scenario. It's this kind of mini campaign that has a Delta Green team trying to uh, uh, re uh, investigate potentially infiltrate this um cult that looks more and more dangerous the more you look at it and uh and then sick and sick again is is just a cdc assignment in in uh, in, in a town and um but i wound up doing 
uh, I, I, as uh, Greg Stoltze was the initial author on all of those, um, I wound up doing a lot of research and writing to, to finalize them and, and finish them, uh, especially Sick Again. The more, the more I kind of researched and wrote about the, uh, the details, you know, of, uh, of outbreaks of this kind and the kinds of diseases that, uh, you know, that CDC people work with and how the, the just the, the procedures, like the mechanics of how that kind of a, of a case evolves and develops, the more fascinating and kind of frightening it got. So I really, really enjoyed that. And I've, I ran it, I've run it, you know, a few times uh, myself developing it. Um, and it went, it went really, really well. The people, you know, players are, players are very creeped out by it. And there's a lot going on there that. Yeah. It has like an almost Resident Evil type feel to it. You know, yeah. just the, the whole synopsis sounds like something straight out of a Resident Evil game. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's, it's, it's a big challenge to kind of rein things in, you know, even when your agents are not Delta Green agents, they're just CDC people. Their priority is, um, is still minimizing harm and it's it's keeping the you know keeping the outbreak from breaking out any further uh and that by itself is a really tough challenge and the the, the repercussions of doing it poorly um are, are brutal are there any plans to to come up with uh another release like control group where it's introductory scenarios or um you know like a package like that for uh, for new players you know, not not that I can think of. Um, the, you know, the the thing that the thing that's made Delta Green, um, that's made that's made Delta Green succeed all these all these years, is that it's it's really not that hard to latch onto it. You know, once you kind of once the players kind of get the core concept of we have to keep this under wraps, or at least we've been told, you know, by our case officers that we have to do everything in our power to keep this under wraps. And it's worth paying any price to keep to, to keep anyone else from being exposed to this, um, to this, whatever the threat is. Uh, once they kind of buy that core concept, everything else kind of spins out really naturally. Um, and so any of the scenarios that we've published, you can put it in front of um, of brand new players. And once they kind of get that idea, then they can run with it. Um, you know, the only exception I would say is like one of the, there, there was a series that Dennis wrote a long time ago called Future Perfect, which was a four part series. And so the, the last part of the last of those is by definition, a sequel to the other three. So you didn't, wouldn't want to run that as your first one. <laughs> but even then, mm-hmm. any of those other three, you could run as the first adventure for, for brand new players. Uh, and they would, and they would, they would glom onto it easily. What other, um, what other mythos games uh, have you been exposed to? And what are some of the aspects of those games that you like? Uh, let's see. So, um, so of course we've, uh, you know, I've played, I've played Trail of Cthulhu and, and Knight's Black Agents by Pelgrane. Um, and, uh, you know, the, um, uh, in, in Trail, the, the, the core idea in Trail of Cthulhu is to kind of de-randomize a lot of the, uh, aspects of investigation, you know, and, and to 
so that uh, the, the idea behind it is if you're um, if you're if your players uh, come up with a course of investigation, um, then the challenge ought to be what resources can they bring to bear and not just the luck of the dice as to whether they happen to find the clue that moves them forward into the next part of a mystery. And, um, and that was, you know, and that was, that, that's real, that was, uh, that was a really useful insight, I think, um, because there have been a lot of, a lot of Call of Cthulhu and, uh, and Delta Green adventures over the years where you can, you can pick out little moments where everything going forward hinges on the characters making a, a skill roll, you know, and that's sort of your default when you're writing these things is, okay, now to do this, they should make a history roll or whatever. Um, and so we took, you know, that I very deliberately lifted or sort of took part of that concept and put it in Delta Green and explicitly said in the core rules that, you know, if you're if you're investigating something and it's not a weird crisis and you it shouldn't feel like crazy things can happen, then, um, you know, then what matters is how much skill do you have, not whether you actually succeed at rolling the dice properly. Um, and uh, but yeah, and so. Uh, so, I mean, I've, I've I tend to pay attention to um, to a lot of the uh, a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the games, you know, I've played, um, I've played Tremulous a few times, and, uh, and, um, I think, well, not, hold on, oh, I lose track anyway, uh, but anyway, there's, a uh, Silent Legions is one that came, that, uh, that came out a few, uh, a few years ago by Kevin Crawford, who does, who does, uh, brilliant work in the old school renaissance things, and so, so Silent Legions is, is sort of his, his Lovecraftian horror thing. Um, and what Kevin is great at is just giant tables of random things that you can use to generate um, to generate stuff at the table without a lot of planning, and you can just sort of tie them together. and uh, And he does a great he does a great job in Silent Legions of making that process, you know, picking and choosing the things that go in those tables and the way that they can be tied together, right, to make them to make them really evocative. Uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I was a huge fan of Over the Edge from way back when, you know, which isn't a Lovecraftian game. It's it's a surreal. It's about surrealism, but, um, but it was it, it it's just the and the new edition as well. You know, it was, it was it was like an an eye opening experience to read that game back in the in the early, in the old days. You know, and <laughs> see, wow, this is this is really really different and new. Um, you know, we, we sort of get so accustomed to the niches in role-playing games, you know? We play Dungeons & Dragons, and it, what's it like? Well, it's like Dungeons & Dragons. And um, the idea that there's so much more out there in fiction and literature and TV, so many different kinds of experience um, that you can bring to the table is sometimes uh, revelatory. Do you ever find yourself, uh, when you play games, since you're a designer, do you ever find yourself overanalyzing uh, certain mechanics? Like, oh, I could have done this. I would have done this differently, or oh, this sure. mechanic could have been... <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, inevitably, there's this, There's no no choice. I mean, you have to, you know, you, you basically have to kind of, or at least I do, I have to kind of force myself to just, you know, rein that in and 
because otherwise I could drive myself crazy. So, so there's a we just did a reprint of um, of the agent's handbook to go with a you know a new batch of the slipcase sets of the core rules that are going to be shipping next month, and um, and uh, yeah, while that was at the printer, um, there was a a, t a tweak on one of the rules for for disorders. That, that that came to me that I felt like would really streamline things, you know, and would play mm -hmm. a lot better. And so I was like, hey, I got this idea. Why don't we do this? And it's, we could switch that page out, you know, and, and yeah. Dennis, Dennis has to be the sane one in these moments and say, you know what, let's, let's wait. <laughs> we'll do a second edition <laughs> in a couple of years, whatever, five years, however long it takes. Uh, let's play test something before we just change the page of the rules. <laughs> Speaking of seeing something recently from the printers, you had, um, I think it was on your Twitter, you had shown a advanced copy of the annotated version of The King in Yellow that you guys are publishing. Mm -hmm. um, this book clearly looks like a passion project from everyone involved. Oh, it's yeah. so awesome. Yeah, Sam's art is incredible, and Ken's, uh, Ken's Height's uh, annotations are you know really insightful. Um, what made you want to take on this project and and do this because oh it was I, I think you know I, I god i don't remember where whether the idea came from first i think it might have come from ken first where um he was talking to me or was talking to dennis or or both of us at some point and you know and 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 uh, of course we all love robert chambers work and um and chambers contribution to horror is kind of fascinating in its own right because it's so limited you know and yet has had such an impact i mean it's when you're talking about the yellow sign and the king in yellow and carcosa um all of that came from maybe three four short stories that he wrote and um you know and yet it's and yet it was so evocative that it just had this enormous impact on 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 us all all these years later once it started getting folded into the cthulhu mythos and kind of you know um uh squished in, in with the rest of it so um so yeah i think it was it was probably his idea way back when uh, this is a few years ago saying uh it would be really interesting to do uh to do an, an, an to do annotations for that and to do the research and really dig in you know and we both said oh yeah that sounds great we would love to see that and you know and ken's the one to do it i mean to do that kind of work for us it's either i mean i i, I don't have the the, the, the patience to do <laughs> to do all that yeah. right yeah. that would either be ken hyde or jess nevins and uh you know and ken had the idea so um <laughs> so uh so yeah and then we you know we were talking to uh, to sam and sam mariah had done artwork for us in in a few projects before so we're old old friends and uh and he started doing some um you know he was doing some paintings about um that were inspired by uh by the king in yellow um, stories and and mythology and the way that mythology has evolved, and that were heavily informed by like alchemy and and uh, you know sort of hermeticism and and so we were um, so yeah so that all just sort of came together just by dint of us talking with them and you know and we kind of it it it, it was apparent really early that we could that we could bring together um, Sam's gorgeous paintings that he was developing and uh and and ken's research and create something uh create something that that we would love to have on our shelves oh um, yeah it looks incredible yeah 
Yeah. Um, but you and Ken have worked on other projects as well, correct? Um, Ken came out with the fall of Delta Green. I believe that was in April of last year. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ken Height. So Ken Height has, uh, he can, he, yeah, we've worked with Ken on, on lots of different things. He, he, he wrote part of, uh, uh, for my money, probably the, the best part of uh, Wild Talents, which is a superhero role-playing game that we did years ago. And, uh, and he wrote, uh, you know, he wrote a good chunk of, uh, of a thing called the, the Cult of Transcendence, which was a big chapter, this big sort of, um, sprawling conspiracy that that you can use in your delta green games if you want it was featured in targets of opportunity and um and uh and yeah and he wrote trail of cthulhu for pelgrane press and uh knight's black agents for pelgrane press and uh and yeah so so we'd worked we'd worked with him on many things and he, he contributed he contributed actively to uh to delta green the role-playing game so a lot of the um, I mean, every basically every page in that book is kind of a hodgepodge of, of different authors because it always starts with one author and then and then uh, mostly Dennis and me, but the, you know the rest of us kind of put our put our fingers in until until we're happy with it. So um, so a lot of the the material on the the supernatural and the myth the Cthulhu mythos itself and the background of it, uh, Ken did the initial initial writing for those. And, um, and yeah, so the fall of Delta Green came about because we had, you know, we'd been working with him already and he was working with Pelgrane so much and Pelgrane said they would love to do something with Delta Green, um, using their gumshoe rules engine. And, uh, and, and that's how that came together. Yeah. Neat mentioned, uh, passion projects, uh, a little bit earlier and a couple of years ago when you were still working on, on WrestleNomicon, um, I heard about a, another passion project uh, that involved Delta Green, but as a card game. It's called Zero Sum. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah, that was... So Zero Sum is a game that, uh, that Dennis and I were batting around. I think he had the original concept of it uh, a, a few years ago. It hasn't really gone anywhere lately because we've been so busy getting everything else out the door. But um, but the, uh, the, the idea of it is that you're... You know, when you're playing the game, it's kind of a um, it's kind of a cooperative game. But your each of the players has cards that represent um, some piece of the Delta Green conspiracy, and each card is like an asset or a resource or an event that you can bring together. Um, but as you're playing, you know, every turn there's some uh like some there's a threat card that has to come out right or or a weird development or a complication or something and so every turn you're, you're sort of you're sort of racing to um you know each threat that uh, let, let me see the core of it was that uh to neutralize a threat like you play a threat card and that card goes on the table and you have to you have to deal with that card by deploying assets to it and the asset cards connect with each other and you want to actually make a loop right you start from the threat and then you apply one asset another asset another asset and if you can apply enough assets that they can connect together in a way to make a loop around the uh, you know connecting back to the threat then that seals off the threat and, the th and it's no longer a threat to, to deal with but your challenge is that there are um you know the threats can kind of pile up if you're not 
if you're uh, if you're not really really quick and lucky. Um, and so each player has access to these assets and resources that and uh, things that you can do. But but yeah, so it was going to be all about the kind of race against the uh, explosion of the the unnatural into the world um, and and uh, the more the more of these threats that pile up without being addressed you know the likelier you are to just lose the game altogether that that was the idea behind it yeah so so uh, but it was it sounded like a really fun idea so it does, we hope yeah. we can come back to it and develop it a little further soon we definitely hope so. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely Sounds do. fun. Yeah. yeah, it has it has similar, um, it harkens similar beats to Arkham Horror, the card game, too, which has you, you know, investigating cooperative, various locations. Yeah. It's cooperative. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it has, it harkens very similar beats, so. It could be, yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, with, uh, yeah, Zero Sum was, the way we had been thinking about it was it was, it was sort of bigger picture, you know? So it's like, we're going to send... You know, one of your cards might be like this team of investigators, right? Or you know, SEAL Team Nine or whatever okay. um, that you can that you can basically throw at a threat. Uh, and so it was gonna. The idea behind it was to be kind of strategic and about the 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 build the growing dread of of seeing these things happen from a from from sort of the big picture level. How far in did you guys get into the development of it? Oh, I mean, pretty much what I've just told you. <laughs> just tossing ideas around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't, we didn't get really deeply into it, you know, because like I said, we were, at the same time, we were trying to bring WrestleMomicon together. We spent a long time, uh, Dennis and I spent a long time trying to bat the mechanics of WrestleMomicon around between ourselves before... Um, before we had the uh, the most brilliant idea of all, which was to hire somebody who was good at it to do that. <laughs> WrestleNomicon sounds like a lot of fun. I I think I think that's uh, that game. Maybe we'll do a spotlight for it uh, on one of the episodes. When is it releasing again? Uh, it'll probably it'll be in the fall. I don't have a I don't have a firm month. Uh, I expect it's that's going to be. What is it? June now, so we July. Yeah, I I I would expect probably October is when we'll have the boxes in the warehouse and, and shipping out to uh to, to backers and to stores. Um, but you know, as always with scheduling for for Arc Dream, uh, don't don't hold me to that. <laughs> well, speaking of soon to be released products, um. You had mentioned that you're lucky now to essentially get one uh, issue of the Unspeakable Oath done a year. Can you give us any details on issue twenty six? Yes. Oh uh, yeah, no, not no. I don't even have any details on it. Uh, well, the the big the bit see the big holdup with the new issue of, of the Oath is that I decided a long time ago that you know when twenty five was still coming together that. Um, you know, I mean, doing a magazine for gaming, especially for such a uh, tight niche, you know, as the oath is, uh, is is always really challenging. And so, um, so I decided a while ago that what we need to do with the with the rise of of of, uh, of Patreon and over the last several years was switch the oath subscription model to just a Patreon, you know, uh, patron model. And um, but I need to, you know, I, I, I'm it's kind of been 
in the top three of my to-do list for months and months and months to uh, put that Patreon site together, you know, and bring together all of the, the people that, that can start, yeah. Yeah, that can start <laughs> contributing. It's, and, it's work. <laughs> right, right. So, and once, um, you, once you roll out of Patreon, you're kind of committed at that point. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, so, the, so that's kind of, that's, that's sort of where it is right now, is I need to, I want to, I'm going to bring that together and, and, uh, and put it online and then we'll sort of see what the response is. Right. And if it, if the response is really great, then, then we'll, you know, essentially what that'll mean is we'll do a lot more writing on it a lot more quickly and put the issues out pretty swiftly. Um, and then, and then we'll see what the, what the pacing looks like. Shane, before we, before we wrap things up here, um, where can people find you if they want to check out all the stuff that we talked about today? Uh, sure. So arcstream.com is A-R-C-D-R-E-A-M.com is, the, is our main company website. Delta Green has its own website at deltagreen.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at LLC and Delta Green RPG. Uh, and uh, those, are the, those are the big places. We have a we have a, I think we have a couple of Instagram accounts that, uh, that we post a lot of preview shots on and stuff like that. Well, that's great. Um, Shane, we want to thank you very much for coming on to the cast and taking your time to speak with us about Delta Green and other Mythos games. Uh, it was really awesome much. picking yeah. your brain. It was oh, a lot yeah, of fun. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> uh, any, any, uh, any plans on ever attending the Portland um, H.P. Lovecraft Film festival? Oh, I would love to. Um, I don't have concrete plans, but I mean, we're, I'm I'm in I'm I'm in Alabama, so it's it's kind oh. of a, a trek. But uh, but uh, but Scott Glancy, who who runs Pagan Publishing, and is he's is been there every partners. year. Oh yeah, with Delta Green, <laughs> is is there every year? And um, yeah, you know, we have other other friends. Um, you know that uh, I mean, Gwen and, and Brian. Callahan, uh, our principals involved in that, and we've been friends with them forever and ever, and uh, so uh, so yeah, so I would, no, I would love to. If uh, I'm I'm uh, my family is likely to be moving up to the uh, Pacific Northwest in a in a couple of years, so if we, yeah, once so we're once we're possible. up there, it's going to be way more accessible, I expect. If you do, I'd love to meet you in person. Sure, yeah, that'd be great. Um, are there any other um? conventions or festivals that you are going to be attending shane then people can check you out at or uh so we're well we're at gen con every year we have a we have a couple of booths at gen con this year and uh and usually the pretty much the whole team is is at gen con every year and um and i'll be at uh, scott and i and uh and my wife rachel who's who helps runs thing helps run things uh kind of behind the scenes on on the, at arc dream uh are going to be at uh necronomicon providence this year Oh, very cool. So I might, um, I might be going to that. So maybe I'll see you there, Shane. Yeah, that, yeah, that'd be great. And and uh, but yeah, I was I went there. Um, oh gosh, I went there in what twenty thirteen. I haven't been back since then. But uh, but yeah, so I mean, Ken, you know, Ken's going to be there, and Scott's going to be there, and um, and of course there are lots of authors that we that we like, and and uh, the uh, the Cody Goodfellow, I'm sure, is going to be there. Laird Barron. There's lots of folks that. Uh, whose work we love that it'll be it'll, it's fun to sort of see people in person very nice um well is there anything you want to say to our audience before we close things out shane or 
Uh, yeah, I don't, just, you know, check, uh, check out, uh, check out Delta Green if you haven't already, um, and, uh, and see what it's, what it's really like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because there's, um, I, I was speaking to a, a Call of Cthulhu player, you know, a fellow Call of Cthulhu player, uh, a month or two ago, who, who, and I said, you know, that, uh, you know, I was, I was working on Delta Green, and he said he'd always been really curious, he'd always been really curious about it, but, what he'd heard was that Delta Green was this game where you're all playing soldiers and it's in the modern day. And so he felt like there just wasn't going to be enough of a sense of um, suspense and desperation, you know, for it. And and uh, and I thought that was, you know, I mean, on the one hand, I thought that was kind of hilarious because the game is nothing but suspense and desperation. And the more guns you bring to it, the worse it gets. But um, but at the same time, you know, it's it, that's a, that that's that was kind of a fascinating thing to you know thing to hear. So so anybody anybody else that's uh, that's that's heard that about it, uh, you should check it out. There's a the, the the quick start book is called Need to Know, and you can get the PDF of that for free. And uh, and basically we wrote we wrote that so you know if you read the first couple of pages of Need to Know you'll you'll have a sense pretty quickly if if delta green is going to be for you they can get it free on on the um arc dream publishing website oh yeah yeah if you just okay. google delta green need to know you know you can download it from like drive through rpg or whatever but it's oh uh, perfect but the pdf is totally free sweet well yeah, thank you very fun. much all right it's been fun thanks guys yeah thank you shane. thanks shane all right Alrighty, and with that, we're going to close out today's episode. Um, this has been Nate, Lost in Time and Space. And Innkeeper Vase Odin from Twisted Tentacle Inn. And our special guest. Uh, Shane Ivey. Alrighty. Just, just playing Shane Ivey this time. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, thank you guys so much for listening.